This is Matt Hurt at Obsessive Viewer on Twitter. This is Tiny at Obsessive Tiny on Twitter. And this is ObsessiveViewer.com's The Obsessive Viewer Podcast. White. And I am Mike White. There is no Mike White. <laughs> um, thank you for downloading and listening to the latest episode of the Obsessive Viewer Podcast, where a weekly movie and TV podcast that covers a specific topic, be a genre, trope, movie, or show. Each episode, you can find back episodes at ovpodcast.com and find the blog at obsessiveviewer.com. Also, come see us at Indie PopCon, June 26th to the 28th at the Indianapolis Convention Center. We're going to have live, live recording at the booth, and I think we're also going to be giving away some DVDs at the booth also, because um, I have a whole bunch that I have that I want to get rid of, and I figured the best way to give away Lady in the Water is to give it to our listeners. The only way to give away Lady in the Water is to give it away. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> That's the only way that DVD changes hands. Yes. <laughs> oh, God. Anyway... Um, so today we're talking about contract disputes and this was a tricky topic, wasn't it tiny? It was. Yeah. We discussed the, uh, sub sub genres of it and like what, what qualifies as a contract dispute. Right. I think the issue was, it was a little too broad. It's very broad. Yes. But who you calling abroad? I'm, I don't know that. Okay. Anyways, <laughs> that was a terrible joke. No, it was fine. You're talking to the king of terrible jokes. <laughs> yes, I am. Um, no, but uh, contract disputes, it's its an ugly facet of um, Hollywood and of the entertainment industry because mm-hmm. it is a business. It's something that, at least for me and for I know a lot of other people, it seems like it's, it's really easy to forget that Hollywood and, and movies and TV are a business and that... These are a lot – there's a lot of money at stake and a lot of egos at stake. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes that comes through uh, – that causes some trouble behind the scenes. And kind of – we we picked this topic as a joke because our third co-host, Mike, uh, left the podcast after last week's episode um, to pursue his master's. And – uh, but it just happened that um, Harry Shearer, Shearer, wow, from The Simpsons, uh, it was like just announced uh, within the last week that he was going to be leaving The Simpsons. And uh, that was pretty big. Yeah. Um, yeah. Tiny, how big in The Simpsons were you, have you ever been? Not. You're not. Not very. I mean, I used to watch the reruns and mm-hmm. the syndication uh, pretty religiously when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. But I didn't, you know, crowd around the TV on Sunday nights to watch it. Right. Um, my parents never really wanted me to watch it because, you know, it's, really, it's right. really not a kid's show. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> even though it's animated. Yeah. So, I don't know. I, I didn't I, I didn't follow the new episodes, but I always loved mm-hmm. the uh, the reruns. Yeah. I was kind of the same way. My parents were really into it though but we only really watched it in syndication i don't think we ever really watched it live except for maybe during like the seasons when it was worth it to watch it live Mm -hmm. but that kind of brings me to we're just going to go right into it this is the first topic for for our contract abuse episode but that brings us into talking about 
the Simpsons news and, and Harry Shearer, like he's, he's a big, big part of the show. Like he, he voiced, um, uh, Flanders, Reverend Love, Reverend Love, Reverend Lovejoy. <laughs> wow. Um, and several others. I want to say that he voiced like up to 25 characters. That sounds right. Yeah. And it's, it's a massive blow and it's, it comes at a, it's interesting because he was the lone like holdout from the rest of the cast on, on a deal that would, would have given the show the two more seasons that Fox had announced. And he was the lone holdout. Cause I guess, I guess what he wanted to do was, uh, he was waiting for a contract that would allow him more time to pursue other things or to, to so that it wouldn't take up all of his free time or all of his time. Cause the guy's 71 years old. Yeah. And I think uh, there's more rumors that it's, it's possible that he's just playing hardball with it and he's just, he's just, you know, he's going to come back and, and all that within the next few days. Maybe by the time that this episode is released, it'll be out of date, but kind of the thing that, this news really illuminates or, or really puts a spotlight on it is that the show just really needs to end. <laughs> yep. Um, like they're going into their 27th season, I believe. And, and this, this renewal will give them two more seasons. It's like, I think they're going to be a season or, or a season's worth of episodes shy of Gunsmoke for the longest running TV show ever. Wow. Um, longest running primetime show, I believe. And it's, I mean, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know anyone that still watches it new or watches yeah. it or makes a point to watch it or is happy to be watching it live or right. watching it new. I mean, occasionally I'll go back and rewatch old episodes, but uh, I mean, up until about maybe season nine, I, I'll I'll just stop and hell even I'll even go far as far as like season twelve and but it's it's just. It's just not worth the time to watch any more of that, and that's yeah. it's such a shame because it's 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 an iconic piece of television. That's that's, I mean, there are two. There are at this point there are probably two generations of yeah. There are two generations of of people on the planet who have not lived in a world where The Simpsons isn't on. Yeah, and it's crazy. Yeah, I mean that's that's a really interesting thing but it's also indicative of the need for the show to just end yeah it's kind of like the simpsons is kind of like uh an old professor who has tenure <laughs> and like students go to his class and they're like why are we here right. like, are we are we learning things <laughs> and it, that's that's kind of it kind of has that feeling to it now it's like what are we getting out of this now yeah, absolutely you know, what are we getting out of this show is it really entertaining us is it <laughs> are these characters still in need of development you know what i mean it's <laughs> right yeah and i mean it's it's the show made its made its mark by being subversive and and being uh, kind of a satire of, of modern life and and all that stuff and it, it's changed and it's grown throughout throughout the decades but it's also uh, i don't i don't know i just think it just needs to go i, I don't know really mm-hmm Anything else to say? And hopefully this Harry Shearer business kind of brings something, uh, brings someone to their senses to just, you know, kind of call it a day yeah. after these next two seasons, I guess, if, if they go through go through with that deal. 
Well, and it's such a good show. You wish it could have gone out on top instead. Oh, of, yeah. Instead of being driven into the ground like the way it is now. Absolutely. It's it's unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. I could come up with another analogy, but <laughs> that's all right. Yeah. So what's your uh, first topic then? My first topic is uh, we're going to take a journey back to uh, 1978. Yeah, 1978 for the film Superman, uh, starring Christopher Reeves and Gene Hackman and uh, Marlon Brando, who is the subject of this one. Um, Marlon Brando was notoriously hard to work with, um, but he was one of those people that was just so, so unbelievably talented at his craft that it was worth it was worth the trouble, Mm -hmm. kind of. Right. Um, But this this is the the part of his career where he he had he had a super uh, like a, a super roller coaster career and this was when he was sort of heading down one of his bad parts of his career this was a uh, several years after the godfather which was a huge comeback for him mm-hmm. but then even after that he didn't do much um i mean it's it's just he had such a strange career but he's so famous and and so out there um that he's still talked about today, but um, this in this movie he um, he basically had a cameo. He was on. I've actually never seen this. Uh, yeah, me neither. Sorry, I was going to ask if you. Yeah, I I don't know. I just never. I was never a big Superman fan. Right. Um, and I just never saw the movie. But um, I probably did when I was a kid. But I, I remember none of it literally. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's he's in this movie for eleven minutes. Wow, and they, I think they really wanted his role to be bigger, and they wanted him for the role because he's one of the biggest movie stars in the world, or obviously, or arguably the biggest movie star in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he ended up being paid three point seven million dollars. Jesus, in nineteen seventy eight, huh. uh, which made him the highest paid actor in the world at the time. Wow. Um, and he was also um, supposed to get a percentage of the profits. Uh, he played Jor-El, uh, mm-hmm. Kal-El, or Superman's father. Um, he was only, he only shot, the sh- his shooting schedule was only 12 days long. <laughs> um, and the thing is, part of his salary was supposed to be a percentage of the profits for the movie. Mm-hmm. And the movie was hugely successful financially. It was like... At the time, I think it was like the fourth or fifth highest grossing movie ever. Wow. It's it's since been surpassed many times, but even with inflation, I think. But uh, mm-hmm. So he was due, based on his contract, was due a huge chunk of money. Um, uh, this also included... This was kind of revolutionary at the time, I think, but they were also filming the... They filmed the first one, and they started filming the second one like huh. right after it, like at the same time, basically. Okay. And so part of his fee also included the um, the sequel. Huh. Um, but Brando was so bad and so hard to work with that he <laughs> they cut all of his scenes from the sequel. So really? he, I guess they, they kind of like refused to give him a cut of the profits from the sequel, even though huh. he shot scenes for it and... So they ended up, they ended up getting sued. It was it was a lawsuit. Um, mm-hmm. He he sued him for like fifty million bucks or something, or wow, maybe twenty million. But uh, in the end, the guy got fourteen million dollars <laughs> uh, for ten minutes on film or eleven minutes. Good on film. God, yeah. 
I guess some of the footage for the sequel was actually used in Superman Returns in 2006. I remember I remember there was something about the footage for uh, of of him being used in that movie. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. But you know, it's 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 just one of these crazy stories that you hear about Marlon Brando. Um, right. you know, he he bought a he bought an island <laughs> in the I don't know where, I can't remember, mm-hmm. like a Peloponnesian island or something like that that apparently he his family st- it was part of his estate and it's still owned by a member of his family. That is Dude, how awesome would that be? <laughs> well, it kind of sucks because it's 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 just too small to really build stuff on. Oh, well. and so it's just kind of sitting there, and like they have to pay taxes on it and shit, I guess. Well, that's yeah. I don't know. Yeah, maybe I don't know if they pay taxes, but I guess there's a lot of upkeep involved with it. Mm-hmm. It's really more of a burden than it actually should be. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, the landscaping would be a pain in the ass. Yeah, <laughs> it would be in theory. It would be amazing to own your own island, though. Yeah, in theory. Um, in theory. Yeah. But uh, like yeah, like I guess for this movie, he he like refused to learn his lines, Jeez. and so like one of the pivotal scenes towards the beginning where Jor El is placing his infant son into a spaceship mm-hmm. to send him to Earth, he's actually reading his lines off of the baby's diaper. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. That makes me want to see the movie now. Yeah. So yeah, it's just one of those crazy stories you hear about him. Huh. All, all the all the requests that he makes. Mm-hmm. And, Oh, I, this movie must have been a pain in the ass because I was reading some of the trivia for it, and uh, mm-hmm. I guess Gene Hackman was a real was a real pain in the ass too because he really because he played um, uh, uh, Lex Luthor. Lex Luthor, yes, yeah. thank you. Um, but he refused to cut his hair and go bald, <laughs> and so they had to Good God. they had to make his natural hair look like it was a hairpiece, and they they changed it around wow. a lot so it looked like it was a bunch of different hair pieces. And it just, it sounded like a nightmare of a movie to me. That is ridiculous. Yeah. Huh. But, so yeah, this is, this is, I think this is kind of an older example of a contract dispute. Right. But it's not really surprising given that it's Marlon Brando. Yeah, he, there was a lot of trouble with him on the set of Apocalypse Now, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. Um, I actually have been meaning to watch uh, Heart of, Heart of Darkness, yeah. the documentary that's on the, on the DVD and Blu-ray. Um, the feature-length documentary. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've heard some people yeah. say that that's even better than Apocalypse Now. Yeah, that's what I've heard too. And I've always meant to go back and check it out, but I just haven't gotten around to it. Yeah. Um, anything more on Marlon Brando? I don't think so. Okay. But yeah, I think uh, maybe in the lead-up to Batman vs. Superman, I'll, I'll give the Superman movies a, a shot. Cool. Because um, I've always been curious. Yeah. All right, well, next up we have... <laughs> Edward Norton, and, okay, the movie is The Italian Job from 2003, and Tiny, you and I, we, like, we have a shared appreciation for Edward Norton, mm-hmm. and uh, I feel like, I can't, I'm, I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but um, you and I both kind of, we, I guess, discovered Edward Norton and, and like, Apocalypse, or not Apocalypse Now, but American History X and mm-hmm. Fight Club. Like right at the right at the point in our lives where we were really starting to get into movies and and really, really looking, looking at movies more objectively and yep. and and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So while carrying carrying wow such an affinity for Edward Norton, uh, it came with it came as kind of a shock to me when uh, the Italian Job came out because. A, I, I mean, Edward Norton was playing kind of a just the kind of cookie cutter villain role in it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it was a heist movie remake of an old of an older movie. It had Mark Wahlberg. I, I I don't know. Some the movie just didn't interest me at all. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that um, Edward Norton had a three picture deal with Paramount. And that he was he was forced to do the Italian job. Like he would have been if he refused to do it. Um, he was under contract to do it. So if he would have refused to do the movie, uh, he would have been given a multi million dollar lawsuit. And so he just had no other choice. And at the time of filming, the the vice chairman of Paramount actually said that uh, Edward Norton was quote working happily and professionally <laughs> on the movie, but. Even he admitted at the time that that Norton had taken the role as a contractual obligation to a studio that went that quote went out on a limb for him early in his career, meaning Primal Fear. Oh, okay. Uh, Primal Fear was his first his first movie, and it was a Paramount release, and um, it was his big break, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, while filming it, he was said to have been working happily and professionally on it, but then he went on to just the, like go so far as to tell his fans in like the press saying like, okay, well if you're a true fan of mine, just skip this movie. I didn't, my heart wasn't in it. I didn't, I didn't care about it. This was just a job. And it, it's just for someone that I respect so much as just uh, an actor, it's kind of disheartening to see him act so uh, unprofessionally. Yeah. Wantonly. (laughs) Yeah. And it's kind of, I mean, it's kind of a fine line between being kind of a douchebag and, just not being shackled by the artistic, uh, by the business side of an artistic medium, I guess. Mm-hmm. And, but with this, it's just to go so far as to tell tell his fans to to skip the movies a little. It's a little. It leaves a bad taste in my mouth, and yeah. But he was also he's also notoriously uh, difficult to work with, though. Like. <laughs> I've heard that he often wants like input on scripts and storylines and and editing. editing, yes. Yeah. And uh, he was so he was apparently so unhappy with the finished product of the Incredible Hulk that uh, the month before uh, it was released, instead of doing press, he just skipped out and did charity work instead. Jeez. And uh, and no one saw him for the press for it. And even before that, uh, there was a big kerfuffle over american history x uh he apparently it's reported that he re-edited the movie to give himself more screen time mm-hmm. and the director uh tony k i think uh was so was so pissed about this that he actually tried to get tried to get his name scrubbed off the movie like he tried to get his like try to release have the movie released under under a pseudonym like adam smith alan smithy but uh, it was blocked by the Directors Guild because they they have a rule saying that you can't talk about it. And I guess he had talked about it to the press. Uh, I think I think there was an article in Variety or or an ad in Variety or something like that where he where he mentioned it, and they used that as saying like, "Well, you can't you can't use a pseudonym." Um, it's just it's it's weird because that's one of the that's that's one of my I would go so far as to say it's probably one of my favorite movies. I haven't seen it in several several years. But, like, we've talked about it on the podcast, but American History X is amazing. Yeah. And it's it's just, it's a bummer to see it having so much drama behind the scenes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, dra- uh, yeah, was that the right director? Was it? Tony K. K. A. Tony K., you're right, yeah. yeah. 
He's he, also a nutcase. Yeah, that's what I've heard. Like, yeah. I meant to Google more, but uh, he apparently sued sued the Directors Guild for it. I think, yeah, under the claim that it was it was impeding his First Amendment right or something like that. Yeah, um, I don't know if he I don't know if he won the lawsuit or not, but I can't remember. But his his uh, his career just went nowhere after this. Yeah, um, I feel like he did something recently though. Really? It's just a shame because I believe he was nominated, or I don't know if he was nominated or just the movie itself was nominated for an Academy Award, but... Okay. I mean, the movie had good reception. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he recently directed um, the movie Detachment, which I actually mentioned in a potpourri. I don't recall the episode, but it was about a a high school teacher played by um, Adrian Brody. Adrian Brody? I remember that. It's on Netflix. It's it's actually a really good movie. Nice. Um, so yeah, maybe I don't know. I, it wasn't a popular movie. I don't think it's going to do much for him. But still, right. it's it's. I'm glad to see that someone talented is still putting out good stuff, right? Despite his his personality traits and character flaws, right? Um, it's it's good to see. It's good to see good movies get made. You know, right? Um, yeah. But yeah, I I remember this for when this happened for the Italian job. I remember. I remember the press. It's funny. I, I don't know why I remember this so vividly, but um, it, not for the Italian job, but for um, Hulk, for Incredible Hulk. I remember mm-hmm. at the time I was I was on a diet and I was like losing a bunch of weight, mm-hmm. and so I was working out in the morning. And the treadmill has a TV on it, and it was it was playing um, Regis and Kelly in the morning. Okay. And Liv Tyler was on there talking about. Incredible Hulk, and I was like, "Oh, that's cool." I, I watched it. And I'm, I remember, on the, I'm in the movie with Edward Norton. It's called The Incredible Hulk. I play Betsy Ross. That is the worst Liv Tyler impression I've ever. She's seen. so boring, though. That's that's what I'm saying. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. Um. But yeah, I remember watching that. I was like, "Oh, that's cool." And then, like a couple days later, I was watching The Daily Show at night, and she was on there too. And I was like, "Why? Where's Edward Norton? Why isn't he doing anything <laughs> for this?" And then you know, I come to learn, oh, he's a Right. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's almost predictable anymore that Edward Norton's going to be a pain in the ass. It is, and it's he needs to check his ego. He really, really does. I it kind of, I kind of, and this is purely conjecture. I don't know. I don't know f- all about Edward Norton as a person, but yeah. I kind of wonder if. I mean, he was so young when when Primal Fear came out that I yeah. kind of wonder if he even not maybe not even so much got too into his head or got got too big of an ego right from the outset but i kind of just feel like what if he just didn't never grasped how hollywood works <laughs> um because all these reports about like demanding to be involved in in the in the screenwriting and, and stuff like that is just it's so bizarre to me from as as someone like him as an actor that that's just that's weird to me so definitely i don't know uh, hopefully um by the way uh, tony k wanted his wanted his credit in american history x to be credited as a uh, humpty dumpty um <laughs> that's kind of funny yeah so i don't know maybe edward norton will surprise us at some point he's kind of he hasn't really dropped off the map per se but he's kind of just he hasn't really been doing much of anything, at least not high profile, hmm. um, in a while. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I, I would love to see him get. Well, he well he has been working with Wes Anderson, but yeah, I, I wouldn't mind seeing him get like another Oscar nod 
somewhere down the line. And if he is the best performer in in that category, then hopefully was he no he was nominated he, for yeah, Birdman. Yeah. He just he blew me away at Birdman. Damn it. That was some that was vintage Edward Norton. I actually. absolutely forgot. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Okay, and, strike everything that I just said. Yeah, he was <laughs> incredible in Birdman. Um And was he in the was he in the fourth um Born movie? <laughs> was that the was that the there was no fourth born movie, <laughs> tiny was that him yeah i think yeah or was. was that the one he was in or was he in something else no he was he was in the born legacy was it okay i think yeah i don't know I, he played kind of the villain not villain but kind of the office guy yeah kind of yeah it was that i forgot we saw we you and i saw it in the theater when i was hung over and i i wanted to get drunk <laughs> um no it was it was it was a dud for me mm-hmm. but yeah yeah so hopefully birdman brings him more roles so i, hope so. I yeah. feel like such an idiot for <laughs> screwing that up <laughs> but maybe i'll edit that up but anyway yeah so i'm 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 hopeful of that although i was a semi not not semi uh semi-biographical role or whatever but it, there are some Interesting parallels, yeah, between yeah. his character and Birdman, and well said, yeah, his his persona. So right, yeah. So hopefully that'll do something for him. Um, <laughs> so what do you got next? Um, up next for me is uh, a television show this time, um, and it's it's actually it actually involves two shows and and two very famous hosts. It's uh, the Jay Leno show. And the Tonight Show with Conan O'Brien. This was back in 2010. Mm-hmm. Um, both of those hosts were, you know, Jay Leno and Conan in his own right were very successful show hosts. Um, and, you know, they, they both started in the early 90s when they took over their respective shows and they just climbed the ratings and were just hugely successful. And so I think in the early 2000, I want to say it was like 2003 maybe, um, Conan renegotiated his contract, or maybe it was 2001, and uh, they basically promised Conan that he would be the next host of The Tonight Show, which is arguably the most valuable late-night talk show. Right, you most know, prestigious. Most prestigious, there you go. Yeah. Um, and so that's, you know, that's a huge deal, and that's, I mean, that's, that's your career right there. That's, right. That's what you're known for. Oh, yeah. And so that was a big deal to Conan, and so... Things keep going. You know, Jay Leno was still, he was still wanting to host. He was still really successful with it. The show had good ratings. Mm-hmm. But then they decided they wanted to, I don't even know what prompted this. I don't think Jay Leno really wanted to retire. Um, I, uh, I can't remember the specifics of it, but it was something like he was, I don't remember, actually. I can't remember, but I, I, I think, think he, he was underperforming because they were, I think they, I think they moved. That's what. That's what. Do you mind if I? <laughs> well, I don't think he wanted the schedule anymore. He didn't want to. He didn't want to like have to do the full like hour and a half show. Really, I think it, I thought it was something. that he that NBC and their um, infant wisdom um, instead of infinite. Yeah. Got it. Um, they uh, they moved the Tonight Show to like ten p.m. and they weren't. The the ratings were not going where they expected it to be because I guess they assumed that uh, the brand of the Tonight Show would carry over to a primetime spot. That's what okay. it was. It was a primetime spot in which um, it was competing against you know primetime dramas at, in the ten o'clock spot. That's that's yeah. such a 
stupid, stupid. <laughs> yeah. It's a dumb, dumb decision. Yeah. So I think that's what prompted them to not so much cancel the Tonight Show, but but I think that caused a rift with with Jay Leno or something. Yeah. I, I don't remember. But go. I don't go remember on. either. And I, 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 I did look into this. I researched it, mm-hmm. but I couldn't remember. I couldn't find what what was the need for the switch in the first place because Jalen it wasn't like Jalen was, was retiring but right. what they ended up doing was was uh, Conan took over the Tonight Show at ten o'clock mm-hmm. and then they started the Jay Leno show, which I think started at 11.30 or 11.35. That's right. Because isn't the Tonight Show is 90 minutes, right? Uh, I believe so, yeah. Yeah. So I think I think they started the Jay Leno show at 11.35, and it was just a half-hour show. That's right, yeah. Yeah, and it was and it was kind of weird. I mean, it's it seemed intriguing at the time. I You mm-hmm. know, at the time I didn't really care because I, I still don't really care. I'm not, I'm not a big late-night talk show guy, um, right. but I understand why people like it. Um, but I, I think I was intrigued by what they were doing Mm -hmm. and they tried it out and it just failed hard. I mean, their ratings just tanked. No one was watching either show. Mm -hmm. And so they decided to, in, again, in their infant wisdom (laughs) to use Matt's term, uh, which is appropriate for this scenario. Right. Uh, they decided to put, Jay's show, the Jay Leno show at eleven thirty, and bump the Tonight Show to midnight. That's right, twelve oh five. Yeah, eleven thirty five and twelve oh five. Yeah, yeah. And uh, like that is just that's all arguably dumber right. than what they did before, and understandably, understandably so, Conan was pissed mm-hmm. about that because that's not that really tarnishes the brand of the tonight show. Oh, absolutely. I think he was quoted as saying that he would not, he refused to take part in the destruction of the tonight show. Mm -hmm. And that's why he ultimately decided to leave. It wasn't about, it wasn't about his own personal ego. It wasn't about fame. It wasn't about money. It was about the show itself, which is, that's something I totally buy coming from Conan O'Brien because he is, he's just dripping with integrity. He's not, he's not that kind of egomaniacal guy. Which I can totally see coming from Jay Leno. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> he, Conan's last uh, episode of The Tonight Show, like he did this monologue that was just absolutely just beautiful. Like it was him saying goodbye and it was the most, it was the most touching and the most humble exit that, that I've seen. Like mm-hmm. it, it, it brought a tear to my eye. Like I remember when it happened and I watched it, I was all like, Wherever he goes after this, I will watch every single episode that he yeah. does. And I actually watched. He ended up going to Conan on TBS. And right. He's still doing that five years on, four and a half years on. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I actually, I actually ended up watching about a good uh, his first year on TBS. I watched a a vast majority of the shows. Just yeah. and it was it was solid. Right. And it I'm sure it still is. Right. But, but anyways, what, yeah, but that's what ended up happening is Conan right. got his. Yeah, own. sorry to spoil. No, that's okay. That's okay. Yeah, he ended up he ended up walking away, mm-hmm. and uh, of course that's a a breach of contract, and and he just he turned it into a lawsuit, and and uh, he, Conan and his staff uh, settled out of court with NBC for forty five million dollars. That's right. Yeah. Um. And and that's th- that's something that. I think is something we have yet to address yet is that we're talking, we're not just talking about actors and studios. We're talking about 
thousands of other people who mm-hmm. work in this industry. You know, people who work in audio, people who make music for movies and TV shows, people who hold the microphone and right. and and make sound effects and and the editors and the the assistants, the scouts, right. the catering people. I mean, you're just talking about tens of thousands of jobs. Oh yeah. And Conan he cut his teeth in a writer's room. Yeah. He wrote on The Simpsons. Mm-hmm. And did Ever think, heard of it? Ever heard of it. <laughs> and I think he wrote for The Tonight Show. I he wrote, don't know. Maybe. I think he wrote for a talk show. I'm not sure I w- which. I don't, I don't know if I would say Letterman. Um, I don't know. No, I, maybe. I think, I don't know. I'm not sure. But he, he cut his teeth as a writer and he was just a staff writer. You know, they don't, right. they make terrible money. They they work sixty seventy hours a week sometimes, mm-hmm. um, so he knows what it's like to be a bottom of the totem pole staffer, right? And so he is incredibly loyal to his staff. And when he got that amazing gig as the host of the Tonight Show, like Matt said, probably the most prestigious gig in the late night show mm-hmm. pantheon, he took he brought his whole staff with him. Oh you know, yeah, his writers, his directors and producers, he brought everybody with him, and he was like, "This is it, guys. We made it." We're done. This this is the top of the this is yeah. the top of the pyramid. We're the best, and then NBC just rips it away from him. And so, out of loyalty to his staff and his fans, he walked away, started his whole new show, and I think he's doing pretty well for himself. <laughs> yeah, and he yeah. was yeah uh, he wrote for SNL. SNL, okay. Yeah. Uh, he actually won an Emmy for it. Wow, uh, okay, for writing for SNL. But yeah, I mean it's. And he just seems like the most down to earth guy every time every time that I've seen him mm-hmm. um in interviews and stuff. And he's this very self effacing kind of kind of self deprecating oh, yeah. kind of guy. And I that's something that's a brand of humor that I latch on to because uh-huh. I'm a fing idiot. Um, <laughs> see what I did there? Uh. <laughs> uh but yeah, no, he he's a class act and I'm yeah. I'm really happy to see him excel so much. Yes. Um where he is and 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 all that and I, and I don't know if anybody would argue against the point that it was it was wrong of NBC to ask Conan to pay for their mistakes. Oh yeah. Oh cuz clear, clearly clearly they were at fault. Yeah. NBC and uh, that was just such a cluster beep and <laughs> <laughs> and it it's the, are you familiar with the late night the late night wars or whatever from um what was that? Like Back when Johnny Carson was leaving the Tonight Show, I think it was when Johnny Carson was leaving. I don't. Um, well, I mean, during my research for this, I was uh, I was reading about this this dispute, and it said mm-hmm. uh, back when Conan renegotiated his contract, um, like Late Night with Conan O'Brien, I think that was his show, maybe that came mm-hmm. on after the t- the Tonight Show. Um, he renegotiated that contract in like two thousand one. And the website I was reading, maybe on Wikipedia, I don't recall, mm-hmm. it said that NBC guaranteed him to be the fifth host of The Tonight Show. Right. And I was like, F- there had been five hosts of The Tonight Show at the yeah. time? I was like, really? I thought it was just Johnny Carson and maybe one other person, and then Jay Leno took over in like 91 or 92 or something. Mm-hmm. I thought that's all it was, and now we have Jimmy Fallon. I don't know. I, th- I thought there were only, that we were up to like four, four or five now. I didn't think there had been five... I don't know who the other guys are. <laughs> yeah, I don't know either. Um, so. It's funny because I, I was always a, uh, a Letterman fan growing up. Right. Um, you know, he's from Indiana. Yeah. And my family liked him. Um, but yeah, the the 
there was a big dispute over Letterman and Leno back in the nineties and in the early nineties uh, surrounding the the Tonight Show. Um, the, the book there was a book written about it called The Late Shift that was made into an HBO movie, um, and then I believe the same writer wrote the uh, the War for Late Night, which is a sequel to yeah, it's the same writer, uh, the sequel to it that uh, covers the stuff with. Uh, Jay Leno and Conan O'Brien. I might seriously read both of those and review them on Obsessive Book Nerd. Nice. Um, Very nice. Yeah. yeah, so that's it's there's more obviously there's more to all of all of this, but um check out check out the late shift though. If if you can get a hold of it, the movie. I I can't endorse it, but because um, I haven't seen it, but I'm going to check it out as soon as I can. Cool. Yep. Uh, so that brings us to me, right? Yep. And the next one that I'm going to bring up is, uh, <laughs> I'm I'm actually really excited about this one because it's uh, kind of a higher profile one than than maybe not higher profile, but it's it's one of the more intriguing ones. Uh, Crispin Glover and Back to the Future Part Two. Hmm. Um, he the. The story goes, the rumors are, the, the reports are that he wasn't in the sequels to Back to the Future because he wanted more money. And right. there was the story goes that he demanded to be paid as much as um, Michael J. Fox was for for the sequels, which is, you know, kind, kind of ridiculous, frankly. <laughs> so... That's that's the way the story goes, and uh, it turns out that they went ahead. They they didn't cast him, and uh, they didn't use him in Back to the Future Part Two. But what they did was they cast a uh, doppelganger, a guy that kind of looked like him, put some prosthetics on him that was used from face molds from the first movie, <laughs> and uh, put him upside down to kind of obscure his his the audience's view from him and also intercut a little, uh, a few clips from the first movie into the second movie. Right. So, uh, Crispin Glover didn't like this and sued the sued, uh, uh, this. Yeah. Sued the, I guess screen actors Guild or sued them, I guess probably universal universal. Probably, um, sued them. And, uh, I don't know how much his payout was or anything like that, but, uh, there's now a rule in the Screen Actors Guild saying that saying that you can't use the likeness or or uh, the likeness or footage of someone without compensating them for it. Like that oh, okay. didn't exist until he yeah, until I he know that. Yeah. Huh. Um. But what's interesting about it is that that's the way the story goes. That's the way that the how it is. But if you've ever seen Crispin Glover. Like in <laughs> interviews and stuff, like there's, there's an interview with him on uh, Letterman. The Letterman interview where he has the long hair. Yeah, and he starts like doing like karate and. Yeah. I think they, I think they ended up stopping the interview, <laughs> but he's he's just a bizarre, weird guy, and so in 2012, he uh, there was an there was an interview with him in the AV Club, uh, where he said that it, where he. I guess he was he clear he tried to clear up what what happened that prevented him from being in Back to the Future Part Two. He said that Bob Gale, the co-writer of uh, Back to the Future and, and producer and all that, 
had been spreading a lie that Chris McGlover had demanded to be paid as much as Fox was. And the way that, the way that Chris McGlover describes it is that at the end of, at the end, he was, he was disappointed with the ending of back to the future, the original back to the future. He felt that the, the way that the McFly's spoiler alert for back to the future, but I mean, come on, Um, the way that, the way that the movie ended on such a happy note and and implied that by being financially uh, affluent or or very very uh, rich, the McFlys it it was giving off a poor message to audiences saying that saying that money buys you happiness and it could have it should have been that it should have been more about the love the love of uh, George and uh, Lorraine. Mm-hmm. So. The way that he describes it in this AV Club article interview is that he voiced those those opinions to Robert Zemeckis, who he remains he remains on good terms with. Um, but it came at a time they <laughs> the way that they they filmed it. If I'm sure people are aware of this, but Eric Stoltz was originally cast as Marty McFly in in Back to the Future, and they shot for about six weeks, and then Eric Stoltz was fired, and that's when my, Michael J. Fox came on board. So. About the they, the way that Crispin Glover describes it in this interview is that he was that Eric Stoltz was fired before the Christmas break, and then when they came back, they were filming with Michael J. Fox, and they started filming the 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 ending, the just from the schedule of the filming and everything. So, at the time, Crispin Glover is like a twenty year old twenty year old kid who he's in this movie that they just fired the lead actor for, and he has these concerns over the ending. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he's very kind of sheepish about, about asking, uh, about voicing, voicing his opinion and, and his feelings about it being such a, such a happy money, uh, materialistic ending. Okay. So, so he voiced his opinion. I guess it, from his perspective, it soured, the people's opinion of him, I guess that that's the way that he makes it sound in in the interview. Mm -hmm. So around the time that back to the future part two starts filming, it's at the time, this is before they decided to, to cut it into two movies and, and make it, um, two movies filmed back to back. So the way that he describes it is that he was offered $150,000 to play George McFly to reply, reprise his role as George McFly in Back to the Future Part Two, which at the time was about a 200-page script, mm-hmm. if not more, um, since it was before they decided to cut into two two movies, and he was this was drastically lower than what his co-stars were 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 being offered, like um, uh, uh, oh man, Leah Thompson and Tom, Tom Wilson. Wilson. Thank you, Tiny. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were being they were being offered much much more money, and he from this is where it gets kind of weird. Is that Crispin Glover was he's in the interview he comes across as really paranoid and yeah. very very like oh they're all out to get me about it because he he goes into this kind of tirade about how they offered him such a low amount because they knew he wouldn't take it or he, they knew that he was going to ask for more money and they knew that that would be a reasonable reason not to not to cast them and all that. And that they already had this whole idea about using prosthetics on another person that they were going to obscure his obscure his, uh, his features from the audience and stuff like that. Hmm. So, but what's weird is that in the interview, he mentions that, um, he, they said that he, they were going to put him upside down. 
and it this is it, this isn't like corroborated. I, I don't know. I'll have to go back and check the commentaries and stuff on the Back to the Future Two Blu-ray. But they say that like he he said that he was going to be compensated less for more work because they were going to put him upside down in it. Where the trivia for the movie say says that it's it's led it's said to be it's to be believed that they used that technique in the movie to have the guy upside down so that the audience couldn't tell that it wasn't Chris McGlover. So right. it's kind of a weird, he, he seems like a very, he said, she said, right. And yeah. he seems just like such a weird guy. Right. But it's funny because one thing that according to him is that after they decided to split the movie in, into uh, sp- split the sequel into two movies and film them back to back. They went back and they offered him $125,000, <laughs> which is $25,000 less than what uh, they originally offered him, which I mean, makes sense if that's just for the first movie yeah. of the two sequels. But, but I digress. He is an eccentric guy and I'm not sure what the, uh, the deal is with it but mm-hmm. he worked with uh he, he worked with zemeckis again on i think beowulf beowulf he did a voice yeah yeah and uh apparently they're on good terms and all that so mm-hmm. i guess it's not too much of a thing he's a weird dude <laughs> yeah he's he's a very strange guy he i guess he wrote like some books and and directed a couple of movies and what he does is this is actually kind of interesting as of like 2013 or 2012, he goes, he did like a, a kind of a, I don't know if, I don't know if they said a slideshow or just like a, um, a tour basically where he shows the movies, signs the books, does readings for the books, has a very intimate kind of thing with his fans. Um, Mm -hmm. which is just, it's, it's weird, but it's, it's interesting. It's kind of, kind of really can't fault him for that. Yeah, definitely. But, Sounds yeah. like he's doing what he wants. Yeah. Which yeah. is important to a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. Um, side note, if you want some cool behind the scenes Back to the Future stories, mm-hmm. check out the Nerdist episode with Tom Wilson. Yes. Who, who plays Biff in the in the, the, the trilogy. Yeah. Um, that is a fantastic episode. Yeah. Great podcast. He has some great stories. He's just a cool guy. Oh, yeah. I yeah. agree completely. I haven't listened to that one in a long time. It's an old one. It's at least oh, two, yeah. three years old. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If maybe more than that, but I remember one of the anecdotes he has in that is that he carries around a small laminated huh. card with basically all of his stock answers, and like yes. he reads it in the episode. And he says something like, "Yes, Michael J. Fox is very nice." Blah blah blah. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> like no, I didn't. I'm not really that much of a dick. Stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. Um. He made. He kind of made a name for himself as a stand-up. Did I don't he? recall. Maybe uh, I want to say that he did that or maybe music or something but i don't recall uh, but yeah, yeah so anyway so check that out on nerdist mm-hmm. um and tiny do you want to round us out for the last one absolutely sweet uh the last one i have is another tv show uh it is uh 2003 to 2005's Chappelle show um because <laughs> that's what they right in the commercial people loved this show in high school when we were i loved this show i I liked it a lot, but I mean, people were just going insane for it. It was in our high school, at least. Yeah, it was ridiculously popular, and I think, I think, rightfully so. I think it was such a, such a brilliant commentary and satire-based comedy sketch show. It's what SNL should have been. Oh yeah, but wasn't at the time. Yeah. Very um, irreverent and uh, yes, 
I just want to use the word irreverent. It's a fun word. It was. It's it good, is a good word. Yes. Um, but yeah, Chappelle's show had two two massive, massive and successful seasons. Uh, it was critically acclaimed across the board. It was just a huge success. DVD sales were like through the roof on the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and Dave Chappelle was offered a contract for like two more seasons, I want to say. Mm-hmm. And the contract was $50 million. Jesus. And that's from a basic cable yeah. channel. I mean, that's, that just goes to show you how successful it was. That's oh, yeah. like, that's like network money. Mm-hmm. That's like eighth season wow. drama network money right there. Mm. If that, um, <laughs> so yeah, that's, that was a huge contract. Uh, and he turned it down and walked away. That's... <laughs> it was, I mean, it was even more than that. It was it's like, so crazy. Yeah. He was, uh, they were part way through filming the third season. Like they had, I think they had like a whole episode in the back. That's right. They ended up releasing them as like lost episodes on on DVD, didn't they? Yeah. And he just took off and he left and went to South Africa for like two weeks Mm -hmm. and just turned off his phone and no one heard from him for two weeks. And when he came back, he was like, I'm done. I can't do the show anymore. Wow. Um, And so over the years, you know that that was hugely controversial at the time because everybody was just on the edge of their seat, chomping at the bit for the third mm-hmm. season of the Chappelle Show, myself included, because it was right. just su- such a great show. Um, and it just it it came out of nowhere that he wasn't coming back and there wasn't going to be any more Chappelle Show. No one no one could believe it because it was just so ridiculously successful. <laughs> right. Um, and just for for years and years, we never really got the story as to what happened. Um, I know Dave Chappelle was a longtime collaborator. Uh, with this a guy who he was I think he was the head writer he like ran the writers room for the Chappelle show his name's Neil Brennan okay um he's a really funny guy I've I've read some interviews with him I think I've seen some of his stand up somewhere yeah yeah he's really good he he's worked on some other Comedy Central stuff I think he's done mm-hmm. some directing for uh, what's her name um, Amy Schumer's show oh okay stuff like that um but I, I've read interviews and stuff with him where he's just like. He's like, I will never work to work with Dave Chappelle again. And really, he he's not unprofessional about it, mm-hmm. but he's he's fairly candid. He's like, yeah, we're not on good terms. We're not friends anymore, and wow. uh, I'll never work with him again. But he doesn't say like, you know, screw him. And right, he, he's he's pretty professional about it. Yeah, but uh, recent, I don't know about recently, but maybe in like 2012 or 13, um, Dave Chappelle was on Oprah. And yeah. he was on Letterman. He was um, promoting his a stand-up tour he was on. Mm-hmm. And he opened up about it a little bit. And he basically just said that, you know, he... Stand-up is a very... It's a very specific and a very unique form of art in that it's... It's like a ne- like a necessary... For, for some of the best comics, and in and, and, and my opinion, the truly good comics... Uh, their art is cathartic for them. Uh, yeah. Um, again, oh, yeah. reference Nerdist. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Chris Hardwick talks about it all the time. Right. Um, and it's, I, I think he's, he's, he encapsulates the, the notion pretty well that it's, it's a cathartic thing and that these guys kind of work through their own problems. Gals too, I don't mean to be sexist, but mm. they kind of work through their own problems and their own neuroses through the process of stand-up. Oh, yeah. And so it is. It, it is not only important to them. It's it's like a necessary part of their lives. Right. It's who they are. It's who they are. Yeah. Yeah. And and Dave Chappelle is one of those guys. You you can ask a lot of 
success, successful comedians who their favorite comedian is, and a lot of them will say Dave Chappelle. Mm-hmm. Um, he is a truly talented stand-up artist. Um, uh, gosh, I think one of his his stand-up special called, I think Killing Them Softly, maybe. I don't remember, mm-hmm. or the one that he does at the Fillmore. I can't remember, but okay. he has like two two stand-up specials that are unbelievably hilarious. Nice. I, I love his stand-up so much. And so at the time when the Chappelle show was the king of the mountain, as far as sketch comedy goes, mm. he was, he was basically too famous because he was doing, right. st- he was trying to tour and do stand up while he was on break mm-hmm. and people, you know, he would come on stage and he was trying to tell his jokes and people were, people were like, I'm Rick James, bitch. And yeah. There was, there's a famous story where he was trying to do a show somewhere and people wouldn't stop shouting out stuff from the, Jeez. from the show. And he went off on the audience and mm-hmm. refused to finish his show. And, I guess that was kind of one of one of the last few straws on the camel's back, and then I think a few months later, when they were into filming, he just quit. Mm-hmm. Um, and he talked about how the show was kind of ruining his life because he didn't have that. It took away his outlet. Right. Um, he admitted that sketch comedy wasn't his favorite form of art, mm-hmm. wasn't his favorite form of comedy, and he couldn't devote so much of his time to something that was not a necessity in his life, basically. Right. Um, and he, I think he talked about how, you know, it would be kind of nice to have that $50 million. <laughs> um, but the guy is still a successful stand-up. He goes mm-hmm. on tour regularly, and he sells out, you know, yeah. 3,000 seat theaters and stuff like that. So he's doing okay. Um, right. I Where I come down on it is it's kind of... I, I think you should you should finish the things you start, especially when... You know, like I said earlier, so many people's jobs depend on it. Right. Like, obviously, Neil Brennan is a little salty about this. <laughs> um, and, you know, understandably so on his part. You know, he's he's got kids to feed. Um, it's just... It's unfortunate that in order for Dave Chappelle to maintain his integrity and his, you know, what he needs out of his life, he had to screw over a bunch of people by not... by walking out on this thing. Um, even though it's what he needed, it, it, it screwed over a lot of people. Um, I can't really fault either party. You know, I can't fault the Neil Brennans and the people that Dave Chappelle worked with for not liking him and cutting all ties to him. I can't really blame him for that. But at the same time, I can't blame Dave Chappelle for walking away. Right. I think he should have at least completed one season. Oh, or, you know, that third season. Yeah, but at the same time, the I, other side of that, I, I can kind of it, especially with like heckler screaming out his catchphrases. Yeah, I can I can see that really getting to him. Yeah. And uh, I mean, there are more professional ways of to, to breach a contract like that. Yeah, but, exactly. But it's also I can understand he wanted his to keep his integrity intact and maybe mm-hmm. would have sacrificed something for him. Um, maybe I'm maybe I'm putting motivations in his actions. Yeah. But yeah, I, I mean, I can understand wanting to keep your integrity and sanity even. Right. Which is kind of funny because his actions make made him seem kind of really crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. So. so yeah, that's, I mean, that's a pretty famous one as well, especially for our generation. I remember when that right. happened. That was, yeah, that was unfortunate. Rocked the halls of Speedway High School. It did. Um, <laughs> yeah, man, I, it was so popular in our. It was insanely yeah. popular. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, Chappelle so, show, two thousand five. 
Good pick. And that does it for our discussion of uh, contract disputes. Totes. And uh, I think eventually we might do an offshoot of this for uh, roles that were recast maybe. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That'll be fun. Cool. So now we're moving on to the potpourri section of the podcast where we talk about whatever we want as long as it smells good. Basically talking about stuff that we're watching, stuff that we we've, we're looking forward to, stuff that we've been into, whatever. Um, I have a number of things. Um, Tiny, do you want me to do like a couple of these and then you do yours and I'll do it the rest? Sure. Okay. What I've been doing relatively recently, I guess, or, or whenever I can on the podcast is I've been going through the different, the different methods of watching things that I've, that I've partaken in. Um, so different streaming service, different disc based uh, formats and stuff like that. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to throw two, two of them out here right now. Uh, first of all, on Blu-ray, I borrowed, uh, attack the block from our friend Fekas, who's been on the podcast before. And uh, I watched it a couple nights ago, and, you know, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a, an interesting comedy, sci-fi comedy alien invasion movie. I thought, um, uh, what's, the, what's the guy's name that's going to be in Star, Tra- Star, Star Wars? I'm going to catch so much heat for that. Oh, gosh, what is his name? John Boyega. John Boyega. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he breathed heavily throughout the movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, he did it all the time in that movie, seriously. But, hmm. uh, but yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. It was it was really cool. I really appreciated. Uh, it kind of took a little bit of time for of time for me to get into it, really. But once it kind of hit a certain point where they re, where the it's a, it's about a group of guys, a group of kids led by John Boyega as kind of the the leader of it. Um, they're in England and the, and they're kind of like these these little punk youth gangster kids and it starts with them mugging this woman at knife point and then aliens kind of pop up and then there's they they fight the aliens basically and so it it comes to a point where they regroup they meet up with with the woman that they they mugged i I don't know if that's really spoiler territory but uh and after that they the the movie really kind of hits its stride and I really enjoyed it from from there on out. And it kind of it played with some really interesting kind of dramatic turns, uh, particularly about Boyega's character, that I wasn't really expecting it to go. And I appreciated its brevity in it because it didn't turn it into a movie that it wasn't. It the movie was what it was, which was a fun sci-fi movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then. And then I'll I'll be brief with the with the next one I'm going to do. But um, Hulu Plus, I just recently watched the season finale of Brooklyn Nine Nine, which was fun. It, it, the show's still still doing it for me. It's a it's a fun uh, network sitcom workplace comedy set in a in a NYPD police precinct, and it's it's fun. Uh, Annie Samberg is still good. John uh, uh, Joe Jolo Trulio is really good. Chelsea Peretti is also uh, quite a standout in it. And it took maybe earlier, earlier in the season, it took that to kind of really, really find its groove or maybe late in the first season is when it really kind of hit its, hit its stride. So, so it's, it's good. I, I don't know if it's been renewed. I assume so, but they left on kind of a cliffhanger. So cool. Yeah. 
Um, the only thing I really have to talk about, I uh, I moved over the weekend. And I've been preparing for a move for a few weeks. Congratulations. So. Thank you, yes. We're, we're adults. I made the joke that we that Tiny, you came from your apartment to my apartment because we're adults now. We are adults. Huh? We are 28-year-old men. Yes. <laughs> um, but uh, So I haven't been watching a lot, mm-hmm. uh, and by a lot I mean almost nothing. Um, but what I, I have been able to keep up with Game of Thrones... I've been nice. watching it this season, and I watched uh, episode six last night. It is currently Tuesday, so I watched the mm-hmm. watched it on Monday. Um, and what came up is there at the end of the episode. Spoiler free: uh, a female character gets raped mm-hmm. in, in the in the show, and of course there are there are a bunch of dudes who are like, well, it wasn't really rape. And it, it was rape. <laughs> it was, it, it was, was rape. rape guys. Yeah, it was rape. Pick your battles. Yeah, exactly. Um, but the, t- at tu- Tuesday when I was at work today, um, the day after I watched it, um, there's, I, I saw an editorial. I don't recall exactly where it was from. It may have been vice.com. I don't remember the exact website, but, it was written by a woman, and she was basically talking about how the show Game of Thrones has been has kind of used rape a little bit irresponsibly. Um, just it's happened in a, to a handful of characters throughout the show's run, and it's they have a great point. It's it, I, I kind of, I agree with it for the most part. You know, she kind of made this point about how. It's it's almost being used as a crutch because they don't know how to advance the characters without with especially the female characters they don't know how to advance those characters' development without having them get raped. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I don't know if that's quite the case. <laughs> you know, the writers are sitting around like, man, I don't know what to do with right. with Cersei. Well, let's have somebody rape her. That'll mm-hmm. be good. You know, I I don't think it's that sadistic i don't think it's quite that nefarious but um it's unfortunate that it's it's such a prevalent aspect of the show Mm -hmm. um and and i thought that was a good point and then then i went to google and i googled game of thrones rape and i just did that so many people have the exact same thought vanity fair uh, Jezebel.com, the New York Times, Salon.com, Washington Post, uh, all these, even Rolling Stone, uh, all these reputable sites talking about how really more rape in Game of Thrones. Or, <laughs> oh, another female got raped in Game of Thrones. Right. Um, and and clearly it's 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 sort of a problem. I think it's th- this is one of the. I think it's a bit of a crack that's showing in this mm-hmm. this show that's been, I think, through four seasons, it was borderline flawless. I, that's impossible to be completely flawless. It's, you know, no show is perfect, but this show has been so resoundingly well-received by critics and fans alike that it's, it's just a force to be reckoned with. Uh, Game of Thrones is just, it, it's just peak, it was peaking in its, in its popularity and its quality. And, I think now that we're in the fifth season, which is drawing from the fifth book, uh, we're starting to see some cracks in, in, in the quality of how this story is going to progress and how the characters are going to progress. And it's it's unfortunate that it has to show 
that it has to show in this form because mm-hmm. there's so much talk right now in the just in in the in in our general culture and our our you know the the general zeitgeist of of American culture or first world culture about rape culture. I don't think I could say the word culture any more than I am right now. <laughs> um, there's all this discussion about rape culture and how we perceive women and how we sexualize women all the time and mm-hmm. that's that's in the news a lot right now and for good re- for a good reason um and i just think it's very untimely for game of thrones to have this this crack show right now it's yeah. it's kind of unfortunate and i think the the writers need to address it i think george r r martin needs to address it and and db weiss and david benioff need to come out and say something and yeah. I don't know. I, th- I think they need to. They need to do some. They need to, s- somehow it needs to be like addressed. damage control. Damage control. There you go. What uh? What I'm what I'm finding is that I apparently this th- it doesn't happen in the books. Oh really? Yeah. Which uh, that's another problem. <laughs> which is which is startling, and it's I guess this whole plot line is is really from that. But I had a very I don't know what the hell this says about me, but watching the watching the episode, I didn't really have this like this kind of reaction i i kind of th- <laughs> uh forgive me everyone but i thought oh business as usual and in, in wisteros yeah. and then it's in the seven kingdoms and it, i mean it's to a point where it's i was more invested in the storytelling of of the scene in question and of the episode like the whole episode uh, this is the show's fifth season midway through the show's fifth season and it's made such an impression on viewers for being this shocking series that's mm-hmm. that is i mean at any moment a character could you know get killed or something um right like there there are a a, a couple of weddings that are just absolutely brutal in it and then we got a we got a wedding a couple episodes ago that nothing really bad happened yeah and then this episode happened but right so it's it's really hard to define my feelings on it because I didn't really see, I guess, a problem with it. Uh, as a viewer, I kind of looked at it as more like they were really, really setting it up to go into a certain... I felt like they were going to set it up to to lead to a, something else in the scene. Uh-huh. Um, like I, I felt like something was going to... One of two things was going to interrupt this the the assault in it Mm -hmm. and i think what was more shocking than anything was the fact that nothing interrupted it and yeah and it i think that's i mean that's just a way to keep keep the writing fresh that sounds horrible but all right well we're i'm gonna go ahead and cut out our spoiler portion of game of thrones and put it at the end of the episode it'll be after you hear our uh, pre-recorded outro at the end of the episode so in that we will be spoiling uh, Game of Thrones season six, uh, episode six, unbowed, unbent, and un- unbroken, uh, and previous episodes before that. So, if you are caught up with Game of Thrones at the time of listening to this episode, you are in the clear to listen to that at the end. If not, you know, uh, warn spoilers abound. I don't know. <laughs> okay, okay. So I'll round us out for Popery uh, again. I'll be brief with these i uh on netflix it, it's the big one um <laughs> on netflix i 
finished Daredevil. I've talked about it the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, my God, I love that show. Nice. It's it's so refreshing to see a an R rated uh, type of of show or mm-hmm. or like premium cable level, well, basic premium cable level show that's set in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. There's uh-huh. not that many ties to it or to the movies or anything like that, but there are little like little like references to the Battle of New York and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But it's such a satisfying run of episodes for Daredevil and it's it leads to the finale has a really a really strong conf- confrontation um mm-hmm. that is really it's a little too brief like it, it's not it's it's basically what the season builds up to and then it's a little too brief for for my liking but the the way that it's shot and the way that the music just swells and the way that it it's choreographed and 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 it works out and everything it's it's just enough to really really satisfy um the 12 episodes that preceded it nice yeah and uh i also watched election last night uh <laughs> Uh, the movie on on Netflix with uh, Matthew Broderick, Reese Witherspoon, and Chris Klein. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was fun. Uh, I know. It, I think it gets a lot of uh, a lot of good buzz, or, or a lot of people recommend it as as being really really good. And it's it's a really fun kind of quirky movie um, written by Alexander Payne, who who I love his uh, his work at least with uh, Nebraska. Mm-hmm. So anyway, election was was good. I appreciated that the characters were very well drawn. Like mm-hmm. like all of them were were really really well well written and three dimensional, and they all had their their issues. They all seemed very uh, real. <laughs> have yeah. you seen it? I have. I, I yeah. liked it a lot. It's nice. a really clever movie. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 And then finally on Netflix, I watched one episode of Bloodline which is the new Netflix original show from the uh, producers of Damages, I believe. But it has uh, Kyle Chandler or Coach Tyler. Coach Tyler. From Friday Night Lights. Friday Night Lights. And it's about his family. It's it's kind of a family drama mystery thriller kind of thing where his family owns a, a hotel in, I think it's like the Florida Keys. And it's the first episode has... The family all gathering together for this for this you know this honoring their their father kind of thing I think he's he's getting um he's getting commemorated by the community or something like that, and so their black sheep of the family, the oldest son returns to for this thing and it's really really intriguing hmm. it's uh, uh Kyle Chandler's the sheriff of uh, sheriff of the community, and they kind of reference him being like <laughs> like he calls he calls uh the the black sheep guy. Um, and his friend answers and he's like, Oh, I guess the Pope is looking for you. Um, <laughs> so that kind of gives a, a, a clue of the dynamic present there. But what I really, really liked about it is that it includes, it, there's a scene that really hooked me into it that has the four siblings. It's Kyle Chandler, the, the black sheep guy. Uh, his name's Danny in the show. I think it's, uh, something Mendelssohn. Uh, Linda Cardellini and this one guy, I don't, I don't know the actor's name, but, uh, they're four siblings and they're arguing over whether Danny, the black sheep guy should have a date at the, at the family table. (laughs) And it sounds ridiculous. It sounds, it sounds really 
like nothing special, but it, the way that the dialogue and the, and the interplay between the four of them shakes out is just, it feels like such an authentic, like sibling argument. And it, the fact that it's four different, four different characters kind of going at it at once. And it's very kind of, kind of low key kind of just family drama kind of stuff. It it just hooked me in. I, I don't know. Maybe it's because I have siblings and I've had not really quite those kind of arguments, but um, I've had just spats with, with my siblings and it, it just felt like authentic writing and I really appreciated that. Nice. Um, yeah. And then the the thing that – that's the thing that hooked me on the show or the thing that got me invested in the show. The thing that is going to make me watch more is that it is – cut into throughout the, throughout the episode throughout the first episode and I uh, imagine the the whole season uh there are these little snippets of the future Oh really? Yeah, it's very very intriguing. It um flash forwards. Yes, which uh okay. I love. Um <laughs> so but it it shows like it gives you just a little bit. It gives you just a little bit. It shows a character doing something doing something. It gives you bits of Piece, bits and pieces about some some heinous act that all of this is going to be building toward, and it's very very intriguing. I don't yes. know if I'd say heinous act, but it it's it's an an event. It's an event. Okay, and it, and it's it ends on the line. I I mean, it, there's a line that Kyle Chandler says in it that he says, uh, "We're not bad people, but we did a bad thing." Okay. And that just That's a good line. Yeah, I was just I was just so invested on it. Like I was kind of I was kind of annoyed cuz I I was cleaning my apartment today uh before tiny before you came over and I was like I after I was done cleaning everything I checked my I checked the time and I was like I don't have enough time to watch an episode of Bloodline. <laughs> and I love having that feeling. That is one of the best feelings about uh, best things about, you know, Netflix and oh, streaming yeah. services is you you want to know if you have enough time. Right. So yeah, um, yeah, that that about do it. That'll about do it. I'll save I'll save my Google Play potpourri thing for next week. Cool. Um, so yeah, that does it for us this week. Anything more you gotta say? Uh, who's who was the guy? What was his name? Mike 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 um, Black. Was I don't, it? I don't I don't know any I don't know any. I don't, I don't know. I thought I remembered someone else used to be doing this. I don't. I don't know. I'm kidding, Mike. We miss you. We miss you. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're, we'll throw it to the pre-record outros and uh, Mike BFOB. All right. See you later. Bye, guys. Bye. Um. All right. I'm gonna I'm gonna put a spoiler warning here. Okay. Uh, we're about to spoil. Uh, well, hang on. How should I phrase it? I can't remember how he. Tiny's said. a dick, and he couldn't keep his <laughs> shit together and spoil the Game of Thrones. Um, all right. Well, we're. I'm gonna go ahead and cut out our. As always, loyal listeners, thank you for listening to the Obsessive Viewer Podcast. And thank you, of course, to Loud Like for providing our awesome opening theme music. Their first EP, uh, their first of a few actually coming out in the next few months. Check them out. Uh, anyway, it's called Mistakes We Must Make and features our theme song and a clips of events. 
Um, make sure that you rate and review us on iTunes after you listen to this episode. It helps us out a lot, uh, and it gives us the ability to say, hey, people like us. Also, please like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the obsessive viewer, and you can follow each of us on Twitter. You can find Matt at Obsessive Viewer, Tiny is Obsessive Tiny, and me, Mike, I'm at I am Mike White on Twitter. You can also check out the blog at ObsessiveViewer.com where all three of us, but mostly Matt, review movies and TV shows and uh, talk about all kinds of things. It's kind of the, the written form of this podcast. Um, you can also check out Obsessive Book Nerd, which has book reviews and commentary on the evolving world of reading. And also check out Tiny's The Secular Perspective, which is a podcast exploring the concepts of faith, religion, and existence from the perspective of secular hosts. Um, if you have any thoughts on the podcast in general or this particular podcast you just listened to or even suggestions for future podcasts, please, please email us individually at Matt, Tiny, or Mike at ObsessiveViewer.com or you can just email the podcast directly as a whole kind of directed to all three of us at podcast at ObsessiveViewer.com. Again, thank you so much for listening. We love you. Be excellent to each other. Watching the scene and thinking about it later, I was uh, full spoilers here. Spoilers on. Uh, Should we? I think so. Okay. Yeah. Saying who the character is that got. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Spoilers. If you... yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was Sansa Stark. Um, she gets she gets raped in the, in the, in the episode, and she she marries Ramsay Bolton, and he he rapes her on their wedding night, basically. Um, I think it was against the direction they were taking the character because the back half of last season and, and so far in the episodes this season, they've been having Sansa embrace her, her, the power that she didn't really know she has mm-hmm. as a, as a Royal basically. Even in that same episode with the, with the chick giving her yeah, a bath. Exactly. Yeah. She's turning into a bit of a badass. She's starting to remind mm-hmm. at least me quite a bit of her mom. Mm-hmm. Catelyn Stark. She she was she was a, a woman who didn't mince words and could take control of things. And we were really starting to see that out of Sansa. And she's been her, her character has been she, she's been sexualized from the get go. Essentially, mm-hmm. I mean, I think in the first episode, Cersei asks her if she's bled yet. Right. You know, I mean, that's it's, she's been sexualized from the get go. And I think it would have been a better play to see. Sansa embrace her sexuality in that moment, and as opposed to her getting raped by Ramsay, she would have basically raped him. I mean, uh, <laughs> I'm not endorsing that rape. Sounds really weird, but she would she would have just jumped on him and taken control of the situation and shown him, hey, I'm not going to be a pushover wife. I think that's the direction they were taking that character. I don't, I I don't see it that way. Really, I don't. I well, because I feel like that would have been disingenuous to the character itself because i mean i mean yeah if they're if they're growing the character to be the strong strong-willed character that she's been building towards for the past five seasons or so then first of all, i don't think that would really be the the right play maybe she would get you know a little you know she would fight back a little bit and just you know put him in his place somehow else i don't think she needs to really take control of it because it was very clear she didn't want to bang him <laughs> right um, or to consummate the marriage but yeah it's it's another thing it, – it's 
I understand that it's that they were building this character to go into a certain direction, and this episode really, really reversed it. But on on the other hand, it's Game of Thrones. <laughs> um, yeah. This is kind of almost standard practice for the series. I mean, mm-hmm. Oberyn Martell was was the show has a habit of undercutting plot lines in a shocking fashion, either by killing off a character or by completely changing the status quo of something. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm reminded of, of Joffrey's Joffrey's death came out of, out of just nowhere. And then even, um, even the red wedding with, with Catelyn and, and Rob, I, I thought Rob was going to be a character that would, that would make it to where he can at least be in a position to avenge his father or something like that. But mm-hmm. this is a show that doesn't really follow very, I guess, strict narrative rules. Um, it doesn't, it, the show demands itself not to play into certain roles that it sets upon itself. Like, and that's, I, get exactly, I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah. It's actually a really good point. Yeah. It's, it's something that that's, it's something that makes it, you know that's what makes it so unexpected. Like when, that's like true. yeah, like in this episode, and I'll go. I'll probably cut this and put this at the end of the episode so that people can listen to spoilers. But yeah. um, at the end of the episode, or in the episode when when they showed the Dorn scenes, and they had uh, Jamie and Bron there with the with the three women that are sand over snakes. In, the sand snakes, the sand snakes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like I was on the edge of my seat because I, I thought like, yeah, they could die. They, I yeah. mean, they could die. <laughs> They could for real die. And then right. when the one guy had the axe and he just t- put it to Jamie's throat, I thought, oh, like for a split second, I was like, oh, God, they killed him. But <laughs> he stopped it. it. It's this is a show that's built on the perception of the audience and, and what we expect going in and then reversing the expectations of it. So I didn't have a problem with it. People get really upset about things that's true um, so and you know personally i didn't have, that's a fantastic point I didn't oh think thank that. you that really that's well said yeah, um thank you. uh i didn't personally i didn't have a huge problem with it either mm-hmm. but it's you know i, I can see why you just wanted are, her to rape him yes i wanted to see that <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah I, I i understand why people are upset about it and it is a it is a trope that they've jumped to before mm-hmm. but yeah, i think you have to take certain things into perspective as well you know the context of the show is kind of it has this ancient feel to it, and back then, right? I, I think women were raped all the time, and it wasn't a big deal, right? Which is awful. I'm not, I'm not endorsing that. <laughs> right. at all. I cannot say enough that we do not endorse rape in any. Right. <laughs> That's. But I'm saying it was a fact of life back then that it happened much more often. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's it's not like it's it's not. I don't think it's as big a deal as people seem to be making it to be. The, yeah. I mean, maybe they have a point, but I just I I didn't have a problem with it. Okay, right on. So, yep. The show is okay so far. I think this season. Oh yeah. I think it's just okay. I, I I was sort of expecting it because I read like half the first half of the fifth book, and mm-hmm. it's it is so fillerish. It's just that's what I've heard. Not a lot of action, just a lot of talking and filler, and I, it's I, I was kind of expecting this, but yeah, yeah. It's there have been some good stuff definitely. Yeah. I'm enjoying it. It's a it's a little cl- cluttered, and the whole yeah. the whole thing that I find most interesting about this about this run of episodes is that the whole thing with the sons of the harpy is is pretty interesting, and also the uh, 
I don't even. That's that's another problem that I have with this. It's a little unclear. The the stuff in King's Landing with the the priests, people, yeah, the the religious fanatics that have all but kind of taken over, right? So I don't know. It, it's a little muddied, but it's in it's intriguing and it's entertaining. Yeah. Um, all right. I'm gonna I'm gonna put a spoiler warning. 